This is Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. Next up, we have 2014 Pro Football enshrinee Aeneas Williams, the former defensive back safety for the Arizona Cardinals and St. Louis Rams. David had a chance to talk to him. And here we go. I am doing great, David. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. you got to be ecstatic the last four or five months finding out you're going in the Hall of Fame. Well, ecstatic, appreciative, uh, humbled, and reflective, and just uh, in a celebratory uh, season of my life as it relates to what your know, former teammates, my parents, and my wife, my children, and, and, and coaches, just so many so many people that I get to uh, to celebrate this distinction. And even though I'm the individual uh, being inducted into the Hall of Fame, just the many people and the many things uh, that I have to give to, to the people that helped me become the person and the player uh, that I became and, and am today. I see that you didn't start playing football till your junior year of college. Was there a reason for that? No, actually, I started playing football when I was four years old, playing all the way through high school. And and after high school, immediately uh, when I graduated in May, in June, I was in summer school at Southern University. And the reason I didn't play is because my brother Achilles, who's two grades ahead of me, uh, he wasn't playing football. And my, my entire goal was to get to Southern and really just in, in, engulf my life and been following and uh, doing everything that he did. And uh, each, of, each of us, uh, he graduated with his degree in accounting in three and a half years because we went year-round summer school, and I was on pace to graduate in three years. Uh, but subsequently, around my junior year of college, uh, after he graduated, he called me back and said, little brother, slow down, you'll be working the rest of your life. <laughs> and it was at that time, and I began to attempt to discover who in the world Nias was, because prior to that time, I was Achilles' little brother, and I was satisfied with that. So two things uh, happened that were instrumental in my life at that time. And number one, I ended up committing my life to uh, Jesus Christ, and in that commitment, began to understand the nature of purpose as it relates to you know human beings and, and other things that are in the world, and realized in my heart. I always loved playing football. And the second thing happened, it entered into my heart to go walk on the football team. So a week before the season started, so I did. And uh, the coach, Coach Dewey, allowed me to do it, and the rest is history. I see that you tied the uh, NCAA record for most interceptions in a season. How did you end up doing that? Was it just sheer luck or your skill? <laughs> uh, it's... Uh, just studying and, and, and working hard, but also working on catching the ball. So, uh, yes, mm-hmm. 11 interceptions my senior year. Uh, my second year playing seven, and that first year I walked on had two. And so I always loved uh, catching interceptions and knew the impact of how it changed the game uh, What a defensive interception. You had to be doing something right to get drafted in the third round and uh, draft, I mean, coming from a small school. Well, at that time, we had a number of guys that came out of Southern as well as the Southwestern Athletic Conference. It was a conference that, even though smaller schools in, in number, uh, put out a tremendous amount of athletes. 
into the pro ranks from Grambling State University, Jackson State, Southern Mississippi Valley, and Alcorn State. During that time, it probably was, I don't know, maybe 10 to 12, maybe 15 of us that actually all played in the NFL at some point uh, that were playing around the same time, including Michael Strahan, who was at Texas Southern. When you got drafted by the Cardinals, did you know what to expect, or was it just culture shock to you? No, I did know what to expect. And the reason, uh, just as I mentioned, from my high school, I'm from New Orleans, from my high school, I graduated in 1986. 1985 graduating class had a gentleman by the name of one of my mentors, Maurice Hurst, who was drafted in the fourth round. Maurice also played at Southern, but he was drafted in the fourth round as a cornerback to the New England Patriots. In the class of 1984, my brother's graduating class was a guy named Kevin Lewis, who was valedictorian, who also signed as a free agent, uh, cornerback with the San Francisco 49ers. So I got to train with those guys, and every summer, uh, all the players, or just about a number of the players that were in college or playing in the pros would all come home during the summer for training that were from New Orleans, and we would all train at Tulane University. And I would compete against professional players. I would spend time around Maurice and Kevin, and they helped me acclimate to understand the climate and the speed of the NFL. And their mentorship, when I got to the Arizona Cardinals, Phoenix Cardinals at that time, there wasn't a culture shock for me at all. It was actually... Uh, an environment that I was already familiar with. That 91 draft, the Cardinals drafted Eric Swan, who basically was playing community college ball, and they also drafted Mike Jones at defensive end. How important was it for you to join the Cardinal team with Eric Swan and Mike Jones here, knowing that they were trying to rebuild that defense? Well, I didn't understand the magnitude of all those draft choices, but when we finally got to know each other and, uh, Eric was, man, one of the more dominant uh, interior line, defensive linemen during the time that he played. Even I was just with Larry Allen, who's a Hall of Famer, and our conversation centered around uh, how difficult it was for him when he had to compete against Eric Swan. Mike Jones, also from MC State, uh, having that defensive line. So, we just wanted to be a draft class that will come in and, and make our mark and, more importantly, uh, be the best that we could individually and hopefully collectively. You mentioned that you had a lot of people you were familiar with that helped you transition to the NFL. When you started covering those receivers, was there a receiver that gave you the most problems? It's, uh, I always get that question, David, and it's not one receiver. I, I like to make sure I have deference for – uh, the receivers I played against, certainly the Hall of Fame guys that I played against, like Michael Irvin and uh, Jerry Rice, but they were all very challenging. They just, they, they just each presented uh, different challenges. You mentioned that you basically discovered Jesus. I mean, you I'm sure you're religious before you went to college, but then faith was an important part of your life. Was it hard keeping your faith when you're in the NFL with all the temptations that there were? No, and I wasn't religious when I went to college. And even though I grew up 
where I was sent to church, but I didn't understand how a relationship with Christ or a relationship with God related to everyday life practically. And so when I gave my life to Christ, as I said, I began to understand the nature of purpose. And when I say purpose, meaning understanding how scriptures related to my life practically. So that whether it was the temptations of the NFL or playing college football, uh, they were there, but as it relates to understanding how to control myself, how to have accountability when no one was watching. And also, just as a quarterback, I also knew how to ask for forgiveness when I didn't uh, do uh, what I knew was the right thing to do in a situation. So from that vantage point, I would say no. It's, uh, as I said, had great people around me and you just have these opportunities, and as I said, to make good decisions because one of the main reasons is having a good understanding that when you're by yourself does not mean you are actually by yourself as it relates to that accountability when no one's watching. Because I remember watching the movie Jerry Maguire, and there was the famous receiver in that movie who Cuba Gooding played was a cardinal, and his whole thing was show me the money. <laughs> well, when I, when I speak of purpose, so let's give you an example, David, practically, uh, how it related to the scripture. Money obviously influences a lot, but I learned quickly the purpose as it relates to money and, and acquiring money as it relates to an NFL player. I knew this, that if I worked to develop my potential, understand, understood what I was doing, and was an asset to my team and, and to help us win or to do whatever I could to help us win, excel at it, the money would come. So it would be equivalent to someone going after wet instead of the water. When I realized if you get the wet, you'll get the water. So if you develop your potential, you become one of the best and a reliable player, then I always knew the money would come. So my focus was never the money. You make a good point there because here's, I think, the potential problem. When you look at the stats, within five years of a player retiring or getting cut from the NFL, they're either 80% or either divorced or bankrupt. I think if they had more faith or religion in their life and more balance, I think that stat would go down, that number. Well, it's a good point. But rather than religion, I would say a relationship. Because the religion desire of Christianity is to transcend a relationship, meaning it's not just do's and don'ts. It's not don't do that, stay away from here. It is, in fact, enjoying life and having an understanding of yourself and understanding of the expectation that God has for us and to know that each of us falls short. And as I said, just as a quarterback, I'm not in the Hall of Fame or I will not be inducted into the Hall of Fame because they didn't score touchdowns on me. I probably will be inducted is because I didn't quit and didn't lose faith when they did, but still was able to get back up as if they never scored. And that's the awesome thing of forgiveness that I learned to parlay into uh, a professional career as it relates to being a tenacious quarterback. When you had those two interceptions in the playoffs against Troy Aikman, do you think that basically showed the NFL, look, this guy can play football? You know, interestingly, I never looked at it as consciously showing anyone. I, my number one goal was to, to prepare myself 
and, and pre pre prepare our team to beat one of the best teams of our day who had beaten us literally every time as I had been, and we had to win our fat last four games of the season to get in the playoffs, and we weren't expected to win. So all I wanted to do was to compete. I knew my assignment was like I was matched up on Michael Irvin the entire game. If he went to the restroom, David, I had to go to the restroom with him. So I knew what my assignment was, and I just wanted to make sure my teammates could trust that I would be able to compete with Michael, not meaning that he wouldn't have some plays, but when I had the opportunity to make plays, I was able to, unfortunately, too, but we were able to upset Dallas in that game. And then from there, everybody else is on notice. That's just a natural byproduct of excellence. And so my goal or my, my thoughts were never to, man, now people are going to recognize me. That never was a conscious thought in my mind. It was a conscious thought in my mind to reach my potential and help my team do the same. Did your general manager give you any tips? Because he was a great player with the Cardinals, Larry Wilson. No, Larry and I never really talked X's and O's. Certainly I knew about Larry. Certainly I knew all his statistics. But as a quarterback, Larry played safety. And we had maybe some discussions, but not a whole lot of the technical side. It was uh, some mentors, and particularly Gil Bird, uh, all-pro quarterback, who was already about 10 years into the game that I befriended my second year in the league after we had played the San Diego Chargers that I asked Mr. Bird, I called him at the time, if he would help me learn how to play the quarterback position. And from that time on, my wife Tracy and I would go to San Diego every offseason uh, stay at their home, you know, would take me to the Chargers facility and they begin to help me to uh, understand how to play the quarterback position at an excellent level. When you played the 49ers and you had that hit on Steve Young, which basically ultimately ended his career, did you think to yourself, you know what, why did it have to be me? No, I didn't. I, that that thought never occurred. The first thought occurred was number one to pray that Steve was would get up and that he would be fine. Secondly, to understand that in the nature of football, even today, for what I've been told, it still would have been called a clean uh, hit. So never from that vantage point, no. I, I I knew the competitive nature of Steve, and more importantly the great player that he was and always respected that. A teammate of yours, Pat Tillman, gets a lot of notoriety, not only what he did on the field, but also in the military. How hard was that, basically, when you found out that he uh, passed away in uh, overseas in the Persian Gulf? Well, knowing Pat and being a part of the, the leadership structure that was in place when Pat was drafted by the Arizona Cardinals and spending that time with him, you know, as he transitioned from college to the pros and knowing the type of person Pat was, that I wasn't surprised he went to the military. I wasn't surprised that he fucked our country. I wasn't surprised that he was willing to leave the NFL. And but when you get the news that he's, his life has ended uh, much earlier, you also get the news that our military uh, is fighting wars that allow us to have the freedom uh, that we have in this, the freedoms that we have in this country, including playing football, uh, that was a sad moment uh, for me. 
And uh, even as we 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 have his uh, remembrance, uh, just recently here, uh, it was even sad and just brought tears to my eyes to know that Pat will have the opportunity that I have or his children to be raised by their father. But hopefully, and I know they know, as well as the NFL and, and teammates, what type of true hero, you know, people sometimes call us heroes, and I don't, I don't think we're heroes at all. But Pat and our other servicemen are truly, truly heroes. Was it hard playing for the Cardinals during all those losing seasons? No. No. It wasn't hard. Certainly you wanted to win, but I was always able to keep things in perspective. You know, I would hear people say, boy, you're playing for the bad Cardinals and the bad teams, more importantly. And the one thing I know, and I was always, I didn't know the numbers as I know them now, but I knew this. I was in the NFL. I was a part of, um, now the 32 teams, I don't know how many it was then, maybe 30, but I knew I was on one of those teams, and it was an honor to be on one of them. And I just knew my responsibility was, if we did lose, I wanted to make sure that I was doing my job and I wasn't a part of the reason we were losing. When you got traded to the Rams, did you think, now, you know what, this is my chance to win a Super Bowl? When I got traded to the Rams, I, I realized, number one, they already had a winning structure in place. They were already winning. And even though their team were the second-worst team of the decade of the 90s, because Dick Vermeil, having built the foundation, had gotten that organization, along with management, turned around. So I came on a foundation that had already won a Super Bowl, had just come out the playoffs, and now we're restructuring their defense with new coaches and new players. And so I was excited because I knew this wasn't something started from the ground, that I was a part of something that was already structurally built and had an expectation that we weren't trying to make the playoffs. Our goal was to win the Super Bowl. And then you get switched to safety. Was that hard? Because a lot of players like Charles Tillman here in Chicago refused to play safety because he says it's too dangerous. <laughs> no, it wasn't hard at all because actually the year I led the nation in interceptions, I played at times safety. So a lot of people have probably forgotten that, but I played safety uh, partly in certain defenses. So, so no, it actually gave me even more uh, wisdom because I knew what it was like playing quarterback. So it was a good transition and uh, really enjoyed it. I think you really enjoyed getting Brett Favre with those two interceptions in the playoffs. <laughs> that I did. And uh, unfortunately, whenever I see the Packer fans, they seem not to forget it as well. So, But it was certainly a moment in the history of my career, as well as the uh, St. Louis Rams, that when you came in the Dome, and uh, I think we picked off uh, Brett Favre six times that particular game. But, man, it was a tremendous blessing, tremendous game. And uh, just was proud that we played uh, collectively as a defense and really the entire team. Another guy in the, going in the Hall of Fame with, with you this year went to Brett Favre's college in Ray Guy. Just mentioned to Brett Favre that Ray Guy was the first player from his uh, college to basically be a Hall of Famer. <laughs> <laughs> and 
I will, and I've had an opportunity to meet uh, Ray and remembered when he played and how uh, he probably was the first punter that I'm aware of that had an ability to impact the game from the punter's position. And I'm so proud, and uh, it's an honor to go into the Hall of Fame and, uh, with Ray, uh, knowing that uh, the many years that he probably was deserving uh, prior to that moment. Did you have a favorite coach to play for? Lovey Smith as a defense coordinator. And uh, what made Lovey so? What made Lovey so good? Wow. Well, I played in the Senior Bowl coming out of college, and the staff that coached our team was the Kansas City Chiefs. Morty Scheidenheim, because Scheidenheim was the head coach, and my defensive back coach was Tony Dungy. He was on that staff. And just Coach Dungy's demeanor uh, during that week of senior bowl, expectations, but his ability to communicate with players uh, that I experienced, I always wanted to play for Coach Levy. I'm sorry, for Coach Dungy. And when... I had the opportunity once they hired Coach Levy and later found out that we were going to implement the defense that I always wanted to play in under Coach Dungy and that he was a disciple of Coach Tony Dungy. And then I met him. It was like to me, man, I finally got a chance to play for Coach Dungy. And, but just a spectacular person, an accountable person in uh, how he helped my career with Coach Levy. Um, just one of the best uh, that I've ever been around. When you lost that Super Bowl to the Patriots, do you kind of think to yourself, you know what, if the Patriots didn't have that advantage of knowing what we were doing, we would have beat them? No, that thought never crossed my mind. I always had the thought that when two teams get to the Super Bowl, just like Seattle and Denver this year, you see just about every play that each team has played all the way through preseason, and it's very little guessing as it relates to formations and what a team is going to do. There's a high degree of predictability because of familiarity and being able to see what teams have done uh, via the field. So, no, that thought never crossed my mind. You're the pastor for church now in St. Louis. How did that get started? It got started by... Wanted to share with others what someone shared with me. When, as I said, uh, David, when I gave my life to Christ, I wanted to know the practical nature of scriptures in the Bible and how they related to to me practically. And when I saw how the Lord impacted my life through the scriptures, and my wife and I, we wanted to do the same. So when I got to Arizona, we were working with players and, and their wives or significant others individually, as a family, you know, in Bible studies and things like that that we had in our home. We were also active in our local church and really just sensed that God had put in our hearts that, hey, I would like you guys to do this full time. And when I retired and transitioned, uh, we started in a basement in my home, and from there we began to grow a ministry, and God has sent just awesome, outstanding people. Someone stole your story, though. Cedric the Entertainer with that uh, show he's got, The Soul Man. That's based in St. Louis, too. I haven't seen it. I have to take a look at it to see if he uh, 
owed me some uh, some royalty. I think <laughs> I think he does. He had one of your contemporaries uh, make a guest appearance a couple of weeks ago, Deion Sanders. Really? No, I didn't know that. I, as I said, I haven't seen him. I have to look it up, David. It's hysterical. My wife and I watch it, and he was an entertainer, and he decided to basically take over his dad's church and the transition going from a celebrity to being a pastor. His wife wasn't for it because she liked the glitz and glamour. <laughs> I, I will definitely look that up, and, and, real, and I will reach out to Cedric and see if I can get some royalties from this. That does it for another edition of Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. I would like to thank our guests, the 2014 Playmate of the Year, Kennedy Summers, and pro football standouts, Chuck Howley and Aeneas Williams. Thanks for tuning in, and see you next time. 